Hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Do Well podcast. I'm really excited today to be talking with a remarkable entrepreneur that he himself is a podcaster and an author. Nicholas Kemp has discovered a lot about Ikigai. And today we're going to be talking about what it is, how you can use it in your life, and also what it isn't. Nicholas, I'm happy to welcome you to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Edmund. I should probably say, can you please call me Nick? Or you're sounding very much like my mother. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, want to, you want me to redo the intro? I can redo the intro. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah, real joy to connect and be with you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Awesome, Nick. Let's get going. So first, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story of how you discovered the concept of Ikigai and, and what led you to wanting to learn more about it. Sure. It's an interesting journey. It may have started when I was five, way back in 1977. My father was a physicist and he was doing research and he was asked to share his research around the world. So he was given a ticket, a first class ticket or the money for a first class ticket. And he purchased a family ticket and took my brother and I and my mother around the world. And one of the places he had to stop and share his research at was Tokyo. So we went to Tokyo and I don't have a lot of memories of that trip, but I do remember a wonderful babysitter who looked after me and my brother. One evening, my parents had to go out, obviously, for dinner. And I think she was very playful and folding origami. So I think that trip must have planted a seed about Japan. And I found myself going back there almost 20 years later as a trainee chef. And I spent a year in Japan in 95 and really enjoyed that experience. And then the company I was working for, they had this plan to open a chain of restaurants in, in Melbourne and all these grand plans and they fell through. So I thought, I don't want to even work in hospitality, long hours, and low pay. So I thought I want to go back to Japan. And so I went back to teach English. And yeah, I was young and ambitious. And I remember the first day of starting my job there, I was on a lunch break with a coworker speaking Japanese and trying to impress people. <laughs> and yeah, this coworker casually asked, oh, what's your ikigai? I'm like, ikigai, what's that? And she gave me this incredible explanation that just made me think, wow, you have one word that articulates all that purpose and the reason why we battle on through life. So yeah, I was really inspired by this one word. And I remember going back to the school staff room and telling all the other foreign teachers, have you heard this word Ikigai? And yeah, I was like, wow, it's amazing. So I remember going in to work the next day. This was my second day on the job. So I didn't really know any of the staff or teachers, but I had connected to this one coworker and found out she'd been transferred. And I remember the disappointment. I was like, oh no, I can't have another conversation on this word. And yeah, life moved on. And I guess I got, forgot about the word. And 20 years later, I start seeing the word pop up in this, in the center of a Venn diagram. And it was 
yeah, really strange. I thought, I remember that word, but that's really strange. It wasn't articulated like that to me. Japanese would never define a word like that. So I passed it off as must be a Western interpretation. But then I kept seeing it. I saw LinkedIn, Facebook, books came out on the concept, TED Talks. And I was thinking, why is almost everything about this concept either factually wrong or just romanticized? So it's romanticized as the secret to a long and happy life with connections to longevity. A lot of people believe it's from Okinawa, like it's an Okinawan word, not true. And yeah, most people understand it as this sweet spot in a Venn diagram. And that's not what it's about. And I knew, obviously I knew at the time, oh, this is all wrong. And I kept saying someone should do something about this. And I thought, can't be me because at the time I really didn't know what it was. I just knew it was deeper and broader. And Japan has many words like this that articulate a philosophy or way of thinking. And then about two years later, when I saw it on the World Health Organization website as the Venn diagram, but right, I'll do something about it. I'll start a podcast. And so it all started with a podcast. And I thought if I could interview one professor or author from Japan, that would kickstart it. And that's essentially what happened. So it all started a long time ago, but with this desire to present the Japanese perspective with a podcast. That's interesting that you held on to that thought, maybe not even remembering it, that there's this idea of Ikigai that you wanted to learn more about. And then when you saw it being used incorrectly is when you're like, okay, time to do something about it. You mentioned that, that you went to Japan. I think it's really cool. I've always wanted to go to Japan and I love the culture of Japan. Is there a connection between Japanese culture and Ikigai as a concept, or is it something that any culture can adopt? It is a universal concept. What's interesting about Japan is they have one word to articulate it, whereas we might have to have a fairly long discussion because it involves all these areas of it's philosophical. It's very relatable to positive psychology. The first person I interviewed, Professor Akiro Hasegawa, said it's a field, it relates to fields of pedagogy, philosophy, and psychology. So we might relate it to things like intrinsic motivation, positive psychology, existential positive psychology, where you overcome something and you have a stronger sense of self and you realize you're capable of more. So it might be close to eudaimonia. That's how we might relate it, but it's definitely a universal concept. It's just, yeah, we don't have this language like Japan, where they can articulate these concepts in one word. And from that one word, I guess Japanese understand it. The irony is Japanese use it very casually. So it's a word they grow up with. They don't make it out to be this grand big thing where in the West it's been pumped up to your one life purpose or mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, but Japanese have the language has many words like this. There are, I'm sure you've heard of words like wabi-sabi or kaizen, and they get misunderstood in, or they get lost in translation to some degree. Yeah. Interesting. 
There's a entrepreneur that that was on Dragon's Den up here in Canada, which is like Shark Tank in the U.S. His name is Brett Wilson. And I remember listening to a podcast with him and he was talking to, to the host of the show. And he was talking about the moment that he was really successful. And then something felt off in his body, went to the doctor, realized that he had cancer. And at that point, he's like, wow, everything I've been doing up until now has been, and I'm paraphrasing, but has been selfish. It's been for creation of wealth. Uh-huh. And he said something that really stuck to me. And I wrote it, I've written it down is that cancer saved his life. And that really stuck to me, like cancer saved his life. And when he had that big moment, that aha moment that, wow, like there's more to it than just wealth creation. It almost feels like he discovered his ikigai at that moment. Have you also gone through something similar where you were doing your normal things and then you had a moment, a reflection and an aha moment or an epiphany, whatever you want to call that, where you thought, okay, there's something more to life than just cranking out the job and making a paycheck. Yeah. Don't know if it's been an aha moment, but it's definitely been this realization that relationships and we can have all these types of intimacy. We can have intellectual, obviously emotional, physical, spiritual, even creative intimacy. So social connection, I think is far more important than pursuit of success. And we, we, we tend to to define success as well and individual success. And of course we all want to pursue something meaningful and be good at that, but we often relate that to, yeah, wealth creation. And we'd certainly sacrifice relationships, time with family to that. So I think that's what I've learned. but I have to be successful and not maybe really clear on what that meant other than financial freedom or something. And at the end of the day, your relationships really matter. And I'm sure, yeah, if you're faced with something like cancer, both my parents died of cancer. So I know at the end of the day for them, it was people that mattered more than money or success. And yeah, <laughs> I think most people are stuck in this insane loop of more, wanting yeah. more, wanting more money, more success, and we're never satisfied. Yeah, that hamster wheel, that rat race. <laughs> so are there some common practices or activities that help people develop their ikigai? Sure. We should touch on that ikigai is something you feel. So mm-hmm. it's, again, relatable to intrinsic motivation, doing things that simply feel good. There's actually a pioneering researcher who defined Ikigai as you have Ikigai sources. So it could be a relationship, a hobby, aspects of your work, even, even memories. And then you have Ikigai Khan, which means, I guess, Ikigai perception or Ikigai feeling. So it's something you feel. So there's a few things we we should focus on life satisfaction, for example, instead of happiness, we all want to be happy. And I think if you ask any parent, what do you want for your children? The stock standard answer is, oh, I just want them to be happy. But if we thought about that question, probably think I want them to be creative. I want them to be resilient. I want them to believe in themselves. I want them to learn and grow. So. 
to cultivate your ikigai. And it's not really something you find. It's something in you that you just uncover and cultivate. And I think often when we remember our childhood or early adulthood, there are hobbies or things that we really loved. Perhaps we gave up to pursue work or because of we get married and become parents. So things that you used to do that were, yeah, that gave you a sense of freedom or life satisfaction or helped you grow would be your sources of ikigai. And this pioneering researcher, Kami Amir, she identified seven ikigai needs and they were life satisfaction, change and growth, having a bright future, resonance, which is really social affiliation, a sense of freedom, self-actualization, meaning and value. And then she also spoke on the importance of having a sense of purpose. And that didn't have to be a big grand thing, but you could have a sense of purpose in the way you cook or if you're into weaving or writing, or it could be a sense of purpose in your profession. So it has all these elements, yeah, very relatable to positive psychology, but I guess the easiest way would be to do something intrinsically motivated. Yeah, and there's many times I can think that before you mentioned kids, right? Before we had kids, there was a lot of things that we did that gave us that sense of joy and purpose and meaning. And some of that was hiking, hiking in the mountains. And I'm not just talking about putting on a little backpack and walking up. I'm talking about taking your food and your tent and your sleeping bag and a little camp stove and staying up there for days. And that was amazing. Like that feeling is so good. And it's hard to later in life when you have kids and maybe they're too young to do that right now, but it's hard to bring that feeling back. And so I like this idea of not having to have this grand purpose where you're going to change the world or you're going to revolutionize something, but these little micro purposes where you just do your best work in this one little area and that gets you into that state of flow and it feels good. It's interesting you say that because I think one of the last Japanese persons who wasn't a friend who I asked, what's your ikigai? I went back and thought about it and said, camping, camping with my friend. And yeah. so, yeah, it's personal, it's subjective to each person, each individual. And often it, often it's a coping mechanism too, for people who do have yeah. a stressful life. And I think in Japan where you're the typical salary person yeah you're working long hours you have the commute you have very little time to yourself but the few hours maybe that you have on a sunday where you can just read or pursue a hobby or maybe that that one weekend you go camping yeah it really makes your life feel worth living That's perfect. That's what I was going to just ask you about as well. So I think you're reading my mind here is that when it comes to feeling stuck or having something happen in your life, maybe a loved one passes away or you get news that you're ill. How does, how does having a sense of Ikigai or even just knowing about Ikigai, how does that help you be more resilient in times of difficulty? That's an interesting question. So going back to Miko Kamiya, this pioneering researcher, who wrote a book in the 1960s, her study group for a book, and she was a, a doctor, she was a linguist, she was a translator, 
and she also was a psychologist and her study group were lepers and lepers in Japan were pretty much ostracized. They were shipped off to islands and they had all their basic needs met, but they weren't allowed to have children. So men were sterilized. There were forced abortions and obviously a disfiguring disease. Many were blind and didn't have fingers. And she interviewed them and spent time with them trying to understand how do they feel a sense of life worth living? And I guess unsurprisingly, most of them didn't. They really did struggle with life. But there were a handful that could find Ikigai in things they really, I don't know, they just cared about or resonated with. So one example was a blind lady who would listen to the sounds of nature and orally compose haiku, haiku poetry. Mm-hmm. or a man who, yeah, had no fingers and was blind and he wanted to learn the harmonica. And so he would read Braille with his um, tongue and lips to the point where he would bleed. And, yeah, it was tied to this idea of hope and, I guess, growth. So. So that sort of touches your answer, but I guess to fully answer your question, this idea of a bright future or you're working towards something can help you get through dark times and you can even feel guy in the moment, despite all the troubles you're going through. So this idea of your life moving forward or you have this bright future seems to be that aspect that helps us pull through our challenges. Yeah, I'm actually so really happy. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so it is, it's weird because there's these elements of sensory appreciation and being in the moment and being present, but also this idea of how you guys tied to your perception of the future and how that gets you through tough times. That's wonderful. I was going to say that that makes me really happy to hear that because I'm not sure if you know this or if you've seen this on our website, but. I've talked about it on previous episodes where we have a planner called a Blue Planner. And the way that the planner is structured is that you start your morning by writing down what your ideal future looks like. And then you plan your day according to that. And you say, if my, like for me, for example, is I'm really excited about kayaking or going canoeing on the lake in the summertime. Now, if I want that to happen, what do I need to do today to make sure I can reach that goal? So maybe it's eating better, exercising, or... Maybe I need to work on growing the business so we can go off to a more remote destination. And then at the end of the day, you focus on your gratitude and things that you could have done better and that sort of thing. But it ties back to what you're saying is that when you have this future that you're working towards, that almost fuels you and it pulls you into it rather than being pushed from behind it. I've mentioned before in other episodes where there's two kinds of motivation as push and pull. Pushes where, we'll go back to the being sick example. Let's say you're, you've gained extra weight during COVID. Now you're being pushed because you can't fit into your clothes, literally. The other is pull motivation where, you know, you want to buy a new car. Maybe you want to buy a Tesla and you need to earn just a little bit more, just make some more sales in your business, right? And so that's being pulled to that. So it's really cool to hear that from what you're saying is that having that future, having being hopeful actually brings them closer to their goal and gives them that sense of purpose and, and being 
What is it that you're really excited about right now that's pulling you into the future for yourself? Ooh, I'm in the process of organizing an Ikigai Summit. So I've interviewed, I guess, quite a few Japanese and non-Japanese experts in the field of Ikigai. And one of my community members who's based in Lisbon and he's into community and social businesses. I thought, oh, Nick, we've got to have an Ikigai Summit. So yeah, that's something where we're planning and yeah, it's, it's not easy organizing that sort of thing. And you've got, I've got all these time zones to deal with because speakers from Japan or the States or Europe. And it made me realize, wow, I've got access to all these amazing people who are willingly giving their time and seem to care about spreading this authentic version or respectful version of Ikigai with the world. And yeah, that's something to look forward to, to bring that event together. And despite there's uncertainty, how's it going to go? And how am I going to organize? How am I going to spend the whole day? Potentially 10 Zoom calls in a row. I'm going to pull that off and make sure we don't run into problems. So there's also that uncertainty, fear of failure. But if you focus on the goal or the vision or the hope and you're grateful for the people involved, yeah, your mindset changes and then you're, you're motivated to take action. So that's something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. That's exciting. I love summits just because it brings together people that are really smart, really exciting, really interesting. All the best of luck for you for that because that's going to be amazing. I don't think there's been an Ikigai summit yet, has there? <laughs> no, no. So yeah, that will be, it'll be interesting to see how it goes and if we make it something we do every year. Yeah. That's very cool. So you've shared a lot of information about Japan and Ikigai and that. I'm curious if one of your friends were here would there be something about you that they would be genuinely surprised to learn that they may not already know? One of my friends. Well, <laughs> you mean like a Japanese friend or an old school friend or? Anything at all. Something interesting of, yeah. about you that, you know, people that you know may not know about you. <laughs> I think a lot, some would be the people who don't know would be surprised. I wrote a book because... I struggled with English at school. I had to do extra English. Yeah, yeah so people are so surprised that I've yeah written a book, I think. And yeah, I guess that would be one thing. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Another thing is, I think people have the perception on podcasts and with your own business that you don't have anxiety or stress. Mm -hmm. So I actually have a lot of anxiety and yeah, most of my community wouldn't know. They see me as this fun, positive guy. So that's something. And the problem with Ikigai, the only problem with Ikigai is it can't help you <laughs> with anxiety. It's some research that suggests it can help with things like depression and whatnot, but we all just get anxious because of trying new things and yeah, we just have to bring ourselves back to the moment, work out what to do next and move on. So yeah, there's various health benefits to, to Ikigai, but the research is still ongoing on that. 
but it seems like anxiety is one area where Ikigai can't really help you other than it can switch your focus onto the positive and help you look towards the future. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't know I get anxious. (laughs) I think you can almost assume that every entrepreneur has some level of anxiety because I hear that many times. It's just that anxiety and feeling that you know, that up and down, right? Not to go as far as manic depressive, but like when the highs are high, they're really high. And then when they're low, they're really low. So mm-hmm. thank you for the vulnerability and sharing that. Yeah. Now, your book is called Ikigai Khan. And I think it's a great title. And you mentioned about why it's called that. That's wonderful. Now, before we started recording, you did definitely offer to give away a couple of copies of your book as well. Sure. So thank you for that. And what we'll do is we'll run a quick little contest on the week that it airs. And for anybody listening all the way to the end of this episode, it'll be easy for you because one of the questions is going to be something we talked about here. And Nick, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you or learn more about the work that you do, where can they do that? Yeah, the best place to go would be ikigaitribe.com. There are worksheets download or they can listen to my podcast and have a look at, yeah, services and things there awesome we'll put that down in the show notes ikigaitribe.com and they can find that there thank you so much for being on the show today i really appreciate your time and your energy and your presence this has been really fun for me and i'm glad we had a chance to chat likewise i mean thank you so much for having me and yeah look forward to having another conversation hopefully in person in the future absolutely thanks so much (laughs) thanks